Good evening, and welcome to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time, and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Joyner. And I'm April Dawson. We're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and we're your co-hosts. The Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law and the Virtual Justice Project. We thank you for joining us this evening. During the past 12 years, delegations of law students, faculty members, alums, and supporters have traveled to South Africa during spring break in order to learn about that country's racially exclusive history and how it is responding to the challenges of democracy. South Africa is one of the world's newest democracies with a majority black population that escaped horrible racial oppression and domination in 1994. Under the leadership of the African National Congress, the black majority population defeated the cruelest form of racial apartheid that has existed in this world. Nelson Mandela was elected as his first black president A new progressive constitution was adopted, and the country is moving forward in the effort to make a better life for its people. Just a couple of weeks ago, a delegation of 27 individuals from NCCU School of Law traveled to South Africa to get a first-hand view of the results of this history and to assess the progress that had been made in securing the rights of the majority population in South Africa. For this year's trip, The delegation consisted of 23 students, two faculty members, and three law school supporters. So joining us tonight to discuss this trip and their observation about this journey are Caitlin Caldwell and Yokoya Gorgor, uh, both are students at the North Carolina Central University School of Law. So thank you both for taking time from your busy schedule to uh, join with us for this discussion. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. Okay. Well, let us, let us start off by kind of uh, letting our audience know something about you and why it is that you ended up in law school. Uh, I guess I'll go first. Um, so I'm from originally from Orlando, Florida, um, and it was, has always been a dream of mine to go to law school. And through my military service, I was able to make that a reality uh, two years ago. I'm in my second year, about to go into my third year, so it's very exciting. Well, I'm a first-year law student. Um, I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia. I made the decision to go to law school after undergrad, but it was always a dream of mine um, to pursue a JD, and it became very important to me that I attend an HBCU to do so, and that's when North Carolina Central University School of Law became my top choice. Okay, well, we're certainly happy that uh, both of you came and then that you uh, decided to join the uh, delegation going to uh, South Africa. Uh, Professor Dawson has been uh, several times uh, a part of this uh, delegation along with, uh, in fact, uh, all of her family members (laughs) uh, have have gone over to, uh, to South Africa. So... Let the audience know a little bit about uh, the reasons that uh, you decided that you wanted to take this enormously long trip 
all the way over to uh, Johannesburg, flying for, what, 16 hours straight, and then uh, a few more hours just to get in place to do the uh, 16-hour trip. Um, I love to travel, and it's always been on my bucket list of the places that I wanted to go and see. So uh, when this opportunity presented itself, I just couldn't let it go. Um, I'd have to say my family went on a trip when I was nine or so, um, but I didn't go. And then my aunt is actually now an advocate in South Africa. So when I heard of the opportunity to go, I thought it'd be the perfect time to finally be able to go visit her. So now, Caitlin, so you have you had you done international travel before? So uh, South Africa was actually my 10th country that I've been to, but um, it was the first one that I've ever flown to. Um, I did a lot of um, traveling through military and then I've done a couple of cruises. So um, it was definitely interesting flight uh, and jet lag. I never really understood until <laughs> until this trip. But um, yeah, it was it was an amazing experience. Uh, and first time on the continent of Africa. Yes. Okay. Okay. And Yakoya, had you done any international travel before? This was technically my third country. Um, last year, my mother and I went to Liberia, which is her home country. So that was an interesting trip. So it was my second time visiting the continent. Okay. Now, prior to this uh, this trip, what 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 kind of uh, what level of knowledge did you have about? Uh, South Africa and the issues and problems, the uh, history uh, that uh, existed uh, there? Um, I knew a little bit about the uh, apartheid and Nelson Mandela. Um, prior to the trip, I actually started reading a lot more about the history of South Africa and um, Nelson Mandela and just uh, general things about what we were going to be doing. Prior to the trip, I'd have to say the extent of my knowledge was probably just Nelson Mandela, apartheid, and just in my head, um, South Africa was almost like just the perfect place to be because I felt like they made so many advances post-apartheid that it seemed like the struggles that we dealt with here, they didn't necessarily deal with there. I was wrong, but... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, it's interesting, you know, that mo most people uh, equate uh, South Africa with uh, Nelson and Mandela, uh, Nelson Mandela, the presidential form, uh, rather than Nelson Mandela, Mandela the revolutionary, uh, and the uh, ANC from the uh, 1940s and 1950s as uh, they uh, uh, engaged in the struggle to uh, defeat uh, apartheid. But most people... Uh, associate the Mandela because of the kind of personality uh, that uh, surrounded him and the, uh, uh, his efforts uh, to uh, lead the country from, uh, and I guess a kind of a healing, uh, through a healing process uh, they, uh, based, based, as a result of the uh, apartheid that had uh, dominated the country for so many years. Uh, well, let me just kind of just start with, with, with each of you, and, and this might be a little backwards, but what was the highlight of the, uh, the, the trip? Uh, you, you talked about the 16-hour uh, flight from <laughs> JFK to, uh, to Johannesburg and then the uh, two-hour flight to get to uh, uh, JFK. And I know that that was something that you will always uh, remember. But looking back on the number of different events that you engaged in, 
what would you describe as like the highlight if there is such a thing? I think I have a couple. Um, so our tour with Vernon Rose was um, really great. Um, the safari, because we got really close to some elephants. Um, <laughs> and then meeting the youth at the African Leadership Academy, that was really amazing. So, I mean, I don't think I could just pick one. The whole trip was just incredible. I'd have to say um, the day of the tour with Vernon Rose was definitely one of my favorites, just because we did a lot of tourist activities, and that was the first day that I felt like we traveled like a, lo uh, like a local, and we really immersed ourselves in what they do. They gave us the history of that area, and we were able to see what the community center was doing for kids, and then also when they taught us how to um, play the drums that was really and cool. speak in there, and well, <laughs> sing, which I can't sing, but I tried. <laughs> Um, speak in their native tongue as well. So let me let me ask you about the um, Vernon Rose tour. So share with our listeners what what that tour was about and and why it made such an impression on you. Yakoya, let's let's start with you. That's an interesting question. Um, I think that morning we loaded the bus and I can't remember what our first, our first stop was actually on the side of the road. Like we stopped and we were able to see the area that they pushed out um, all of the black people um, because the whites wanted to live there, was that correct? Mm -hmm. And he told us of a program that they were recently doing about how they were inviting elders back into the community. Um, I can't remember, was it for free or subsidized housing? It, they had some type of program, but it was going to elders first. But if you removed me from my home all these years ago and I established my family, I've raised grandkids somewhere else, then how would you expect me to now start over? Because now you're realizing that you basically took everything from me years ago. So I thought that was interesting and heartbreaking at the same time that they're just now realizing that, okay, well, we shouldn't have done that, and here's your help. I don't feel like offering that. I, I feel like they should have at least been offered a choice, like either we'll pay you or something, or you can move back, because most of those people don't want to move back. Well, this was uh, District 9 uh, that had uh, previously uh, been populated by, uh, by black Africans uh, and was in the city. Of, uh, of Cape Town and the uh, decision was made as a part of the uh, apartheid government to uh, segregate out uh, the, uh, the black Africans from the Africanos and then to move them out to, uh, into the uh, rural uh, areas uh, to start all over again and uh, Vernon uh, who is uh, uh, who's married to an alum of uh, North Carolina Central uh, University and who spent a lot of time here in the States uh, during the uh, uh, time leading up to uh, the end of, uh, of apartheid, kind of did a row-by-row uh, row, uh, re, uh, re, re, uh, introduction of what occurred uh, with them. And then we ended up on the side of the road where there was basically just open space. Uh, just land that people used to live on. And uh, then he uh, kind of explained to everyone just, you know, what had happened. And then the, uh, the development uh, of that area since apartment, uh, apartheid had, uh, had ended. And uh, there was not that much uh, development that had occurred in that particular uh, area. Uh, so that was, uh, I thought, really 
riveting. Uh, and, uh, and I think uh, this Gorgoy has uh, captured, you know, the, the feeling that uh, Vernon wanted to present uh, to them. But, uh, Caitlin, you were going to uh, chime in, I believe, as well. Um, yeah, the whole day with him was really just um, interesting. And after that, he uh, showed us the difference. So the town limits of Cape Town are, like, rather large. And so the you have like the tourist area and then he was showing us like we stopped on the side of the road like uh, Koya was saying and then we went through uh, Longa which is one of the townships and then um, he took us to the community center where they're trying to um, get the youth and the people in that community to do art or do something um, creative instead of getting into um, drugs or gangs or um, anything like that so I thought that was really interesting and the artists there all they wanted really was to tell us like what what their artwork means to them mm -hmm. um which was a difference from when we went to some of the local markets where they were just like oh here buy this what mm -hmm. you know here's you know 50 rand or something like that um they just wanted to explain to us like what their artwork means and what it means for them to be in that community which i thought was just so amazing um and then he invited us to his home for a braai, mm -hmm. which is how you pronounce it. I was calling it a brie the entire time, which is incorrect. Um, and we got to meet his, um, his wife and um, a couple of their friends and got to talk to them about um, just everything. It was just really amazing to have that, um, you know, kind of like one-on-one -on -one experience with the actual locals there. Um, instead of being in like a tourist type of feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I, I didn't have an opportunity to go this year, but I, I went last year and that was my first time meeting um, uh, Mr. Rose. And I, I had the same experience that the two of you had um, getting, you know, because you could read about District 6 and kind of what happened, but to talk about someone who was there at the time who could bring it to life. Uh, we had an opportunity to actually meet his mother. I don't know if you all were able to do that no, this year. Oh, this. yeah, and yeah. that was that was just lovely. But that was definitely a highlight um, last year as well when we went. Yeah, um, and, and I think it was uh, important to, uh, to do that side mm -hmm. of, the, uh, of, of the trip and to have that kind of uh, personal interaction rather than the more tourist kind of thing as uh, Mr. Gorgor talks about. Uh, although I think to me those are very educational, <laughs> I think it's good that you you're able to look at and talk to real live right. people uh, who are experiencing this mm -hmm. on a daily basis. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and that kind of leads to um, Yakoi. You were saying the, or actually maybe it was Caitlin about the African Leadership Academy. Yes. And so again, that was an opportunity that you had to share with you know, young people who are from the continent, from, you know, many different countries. Um, talk about what, what struck you in terms of that, that, uh, that experience. Um, how intelligent they are and political they are for being so just young and aware of just, I mean, they're between the ages of 16 and 19, and they just seem so mature. Like, it was a huge difference from if you talk to youth here I feel like it, you don't see that I mean that's not the norm here but it felt like the norm um, within that
community and it's a two-year program for them and they learn about entrepreneurship and um, uh, diversity and community building and it's just it's they're just amazing it's really hard to describe the just the energy that they they have mm-hmm. um, and how they work together and it's just it was incredible and we spent uh, the, actually I think we were there until like four or five so we spent the whole day with them and ate lunch with them and um, it was we got to sit in on a class so that was really cool um, yeah it was just it was great <laughs> I had to keep informing our tour guide that wow was not the only word that I knew. <laughs> I said it so many times that day yep. because those students were just amazing. Mm-hmm. And I just can't find the words to describe how amazing they are. There was so much potential in that school building. Um, and I felt like so many of them had already lived up to their potentials already. And they're nowhere near done. Nowhere near. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the... Uh, things that occurred just before we uh, we got to uh, the African Leadership uh, Academy uh, was the uh, uh, premiere of a documentary uh, involving one of the uh, students there at the, uh, at the academy. And uh, we're going to take our break right now, but when we come back, uh, we're going to kind of talk about that and uh, its uh, impact on, uh, on me and others. Uh, as we uh, continue this discussion on the uh, South Africa uh, trip. So stay with us and we'll be right back. Since 2010, the North Carolina Central University School of Law has been at the forefront of virtual legal education with the launch of its Virtual Justice Project. The Virtual Justice Project is an innovation in legal education and technology. NCCU School of Law pioneered this approach to address the underrepresentation of African-American lawyers and a lack of access to justice for low-income and marginalized communities. Virtual pre-law courses prepare students, wherever they are, for the rigor of law school. The Know Your Rights series offers legal information sessions that empower participants to understand the law and to promote self-advocacy. Both the pre-law courses and the legal information sessions are made possible through telepresence and high-definition video conferencing. Course listings and contact information, along with more detail about the Virtual Justice Project, are on the NCCU Law website at law.nccu.edu. Okay, we're back on the uh, Legal Legal Review. Thank you for staying with us uh, this evening. Uh, we're talking with uh, Yokoya Gorgo and uh, Caitlin Caldwell, uh, two uh, participants on our recent uh, South Africa uh, trip uh, just ended uh, a couple of weeks ago. And we were uh, talking about the uh, African Leadership uh, Academy. And, uh, and I was just kind of give some background uh, that the um, uh, weekend before we went to the uh, uh, the academy uh, to visit uh, with them, there was a premiere of a documentary, uh, "The Boy Who Captured the Wind," 
Uh, it was uh, on, uh, I believe it's Netflix or one of the uh, television uh, networks, uh, and talked about uh, this uh, young man who came from Malawi. And uh, they had a lot of uh, problems uh, in Malawi with uh, farming, uh, where there was uh, trees that was covering up uh, the land. Uh, and uh, he uh, wanted to find a solution to that problem. And while he was at ALA, uh, he created this, uh, this windmill concept and then was able to uh, go back to Malawi and present that idea and a prototype of that to the, uh, the government, which they then adopted and uh, created a whole new energy source in uh, Malawi, which uh, uh, kept them from now cutting down trees so that you provide uh, better access to the sun for the crops to grow, but also at the same time you increase the erosion of the uh, soil by removing uh, the, uh, the the trees. And uh, so he developed this concept. The government uh, incorporated that in, and now it is being used in Malawi for uh, farming and energy production uh, that they did not have uh, before. And this is a 17-year-old. Mm you know, who uh, was a student there at the school and uh, utilized the entrepreneurial uh, program that they had there in place to uh, create this idea and then to learn how to market it. Uh, and uh, it has uh, paid off uh, with uh, great uh, benefits. Uh, so that's just, you know, one of the uh, uh, results of or benefits of the uh, ALA uh, experience uh, that, uh, that they had there. Right, right. Now, the two of you said that you uh, were able to sit in on an assembly. What was your sense of the, the community, kind of collectively, of the young people at, at this institution? They were very supportive of each other, I noticed, um, and they were very respectful of others' opinions. I say that because instead of clapping, you know, clapping kind of you overclap whatever the person is saying, um, but they snapped as if people were, you know, at a poetry jam or something. Mm -hmm. um, and I really did like that. They were very encouraging. They weren't afraid to, you know, yell out encouraging words or if someone paused, it was like, oh, it's okay, you know, you've got this. Um, so I really felt the sense of community. I didn't feel like there were any two people in that room that didn't know each other. I would say the same thing. They just, the sense of community and just uh, togetherness that they have is, really evident whenever you go to the assembly or walk through the campus. And these are students that come from all over the continent, as we mentioned. And so, you know, they it's not that these folks have grown up together. Um, they've left their families. They're, you know, it's like a boarding, you know, high school, you mentioned, uh, two-year program. And uh, so that they're able to build this sense of community um uh, emphasize this entrepreneurial spirit and the goal is for them to go back to their countries and to utilize what they've learned to help their community so it's not like a, 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 a brain drain where you're pulling the best and the brightest from a country and and stripping that country of that talent it's designed for them to grow and develop and then go back to their communities and, and to serve their communities mm -hmm. like the documentary that you mentioned you know, and, and one of the things that, you know, for the first time, uh, I uh, met uh, a couple of students 
who uh, are from the states, mm -hmm. from the United States. Uh, they, uh, family members are from various parts of, uh, of Africa, but they grew up in uh, the, uh, in, in the states. Uh, one young lady from, uh, from Maryland. Uh, and uh, when uh, her parents heard about uh, ALA, they made a special effort uh, to uh, contact them to see if they could enroll their daughter uh, in the uh, in in the school, and uh, and they, she was uh, accepted and uh, and loved it, and uh, really talked about uh, the difference between what it was that she was doing in uh, Fort, uh, she was in Fort Washington, uh, Maryland, and uh, and and how advanced the curriculum uh, that she was dealing with in uh, in uh, in ALA was compared to what it was that she was dealing with. Uh, when she was in Fort Washington, uh, Maryland. So, uh, and they have sent many students uh, over after leaving uh, ALA to uh, colleges and universities, and uh, and that has been a uh, real uh, uh, plus uh, for ALA and for the uh, universities here in the United States. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, definitely. So, Caitlin, you mentioned the safari. So, what was that like? Awesome. <laughs> Um, so I love elephants. They're one of my favorite animals. And um, I got in the back of the big van. You know, there was 27 of us. So there was a lot of us. And so I was able to get in the back. And the way that they were moving the van around, we ended up stopping. And the elephants were, like, coming up behind us. So we got, like, really, really close. Um, and then the tour guide, who's... Um, he called himself Trevor. <laughs> um, not Trevor Noah. Not, no, not <laughs> Trevor Noah. Um, but he was really entertaining. And then when we were about to go into the lion enclosure, because it's separate from the rest of the uh, area, um, he was like, telling us that we had to be silent and all of this stuff and then as soon as we go in there he starts talking and I was like freaking out because I'm in the back and I'm like okay well maybe I should go in the middle <laughs> but um, it was it was really cool the lions didn't come near us though so that was good um, and we saw some ostriches um, giraffe mm -hmm. saw mm -hmm. one one or two giraffes yeah oh zebras zebras too mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. elephants were my favorite though <laughs> Um, I actually had the pleasure of going to the safari twice, once in Sun City in Johannesburg and then once with the group in Cape Town. Um, in Cape Town, well, on the trip overall, I was very adventurous with my food choices. So <laughs> I had already had ostrich and I felt a little guilty when I saw them. Um, I did not. And I did not know that they were the second fastest animals. That surprises me a lot still. Um, the elephants got really close. I think I was more afraid of the elephants than I was of the lions. Um, because once I located the lions, they were very, very far minding their own business. But the elephants were pursuing <laughs> our vehicle. Um, but they were beautiful. I actually noticed that one of the elephants was missing a tusk. But I didn't notice it that day. I noticed it in looking at pictures. And that was very heartbreaking um, to me. I figured that happened before they were able to rescue the elephants and bring them to the reserve, but it's just crazy what people do. 
So these are like open air jeeps that you're in. So mm-hmm. when so just so our listeners know, when you say the elephants were coming, they, it's like you all were exposed, and so you could almost reach out and and touch them. Although it's not advisable. <laughs> that you no, that. we were told multiple times to keep our hands in, but then they also kept giving us champagne. So I felt like they were like trying to make sure that you know we were food for later for them or something. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it was open. Yeah. Very, very o- o- open. O- over the years, we've had uh, some interesting experiences <laughs> with the uh, with the elephants, and uh, usually, and many times, they ended up with there being some type of uh, of chase and our having <laughs> to uh, to escape uh, the uh, the uh, immediate venue uh, mm-hmm. that, uh, that 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 they're that they're in. Mm-hmm. Let me uh, kind of. Uh, walk back to the uh, opening uh, session uh, and normally what we do is uh, meet with uh, section 27 mm. which is uh, kind of like the ACLU NAACP uh, uh, social coalition for social justice southern coalition for social justice civil rights kinds of uh, groups uh, section 27 is working to uh, advance the, uh, the constitution and to ensure that the government lives up to the promises of probably the most progressive constitution that I've seen uh, in, uh, in any country. Uh, and uh, so they are regularly engaged in uh, uh, litigation, uh, fighting for the uh, rights of the people in education, uh, in the environment, uh, in uh, uh, housing, housing you know, uh, all kinds of areas. So, can you kind of talk about uh, that uh, experience and your, uh, uh, your, your feelings uh, that develop about the work that, uh, that they are doing? And I know it was kind of difficult because that was the first stop uh, after uh, landing there where jet lag was still an issue. And that's <laughs> always been uh, a, an issue during that first stop. Um, meeting with Section 27 was interesting. I think that was the first, um, well, it was the first stop of the trip. But that's when I really began to realize that I had put South Africa on a pedestal um, and they were still facing the same problems that we were facing. Um, I had a very heartbreaking moment there. One of the Section 27 people informed us of the little boy named Michael. Mm-hmm. Um, he was six. He was little, yeah. He was uh, very young, um, and he was at school, I believe. And mm-hmm. there was, I don't know what they called it, but it was kind of like a makeshift toilet. Where it was essentially just a whole... Pit toilet? Yes, a pit toilet. Um, and he basically died. Um, he drowned. He fell in, and he drowned in feces and urine. And that shouldn't happen to any child ever, but especially at school where I send my child to be safe. Um And they basically pointed out, like, for our um, Constitution to be so great, how is this happening in this country? And that just, that was Mm eye-opening. And I think what makes the story a little worse is he wasn't the first kid that died in this manner. And um, they were talking about how um, the pit toilets are illegal now, but that they're still in, like, these rural areas. that they still have them in the schools and it's a huge issue. And so one of the um, uh, women there, uh, she talked us through the campaign um, and they used Michael's name and um, to try to get the 
awareness out that this was happening and they needed to put a stop to it. Mm-hmm. Well, what was your impression of, you know, you, the two of you were our law students and um, you know that it, at some point after you graduate, pass the bar, you're going to be advocating for clients. What was your impression about their, the advocacy um, of that organization? Did you did you take anything away from from the commitment that that they have to ensure that the constitutional rights of their um, of the people of South Africa were being um, realized? Or I believe they're working really hard. They have um, it seems like they have really strong advocacy skills. Uh, just in the small time that we were talking to them, they discussed a couple of their campaigns that they're working on and how they go about um, their advocacy and. Um, what they need help with, what they're still trying to, to figure out. Um, so, I mean, I I would actually love to work with them at some point because they, they made an impression on me. Mm-hmm. I would have to say, um, referencing, re- referencing um, the little boy Michael, the woman that was going over that campaign with us, she basically said that it's better to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. And she took a chance um, in getting that story out with the... Um, newspaper Mm -hmm. um, image that they used. They used a hand, like a little hand um, coming out of a toilet Yeah, to really shock um, the community, to really get that message out there and to push that. And they had it plastered everywhere. Um, And another thing was, I can't remember if it was the same campaign, but um, a local university, she hung up a banner and then basically tweeted and was like, thank you so much for oh. supporting our movement. And <laughs> Without she was just like, permission, I mean, yeah. <laughs> what can they do at that point? I've publicly thanked you. I mean, you can rip it down, but I publicly thanked you already. So they are really ready to do whatever it takes to get whatever message out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it, it, at the end of apartheid, the uh, struggle didn't end. Uh, that was the beginning of the, uh, the struggle because there are all kinds of adjustments that uh, had to uh, be made uh, to make uh, efforts to make the uh, constitutional provisions real. And uh, so I appreciate the uh, fact that, uh, uh, that there are those problems and that they are people that I appreciate that are working on uh, those problems because you can change the faces of the uh, people who are in power, uh, but you can't necessarily change the uh, traditions and history, and you have to continue to move power so that it uh, addresses the needs of, uh, of people. And Section 27 has always uh, been uh, one of uh, among my heroes mm-hmm. because uh, they are challenging uh, it in a very young uh, country. I mean, 24 years, 25 years old as a uh, democracy is uh, is very uh, young, and mm-hmm. uh, they're moving forth. We are here in the United States with uh, uh, over a couple of hundred years mm-hmm. of, uh, of history, and yet uh, many of the uh, problems that we observed in South Africa we find uh, right here in uh, the United States, not on the same level necessarily, but they're here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I, the, the times that I went, we, we had a chance to meet with Section 27 as well. I still have a shirt that I, that I got from them. Uh, but I was struck with their dedication, um, with their savviness when it, when it came to advocacy. 
and and just inspired and um you know coming back home and and knowing that there's more that i can definitely do here on my home front so that that was definitely a highlight of of uh when i made the trips um did you all get a chance to visit the constitutional court yes right right so what were your thoughts about that yaclea let's start with you um, for one, our tour guide pointed out that the judges were at the same level as the people in the court, like in reference to where they're sitting versus the judge being higher than everyone else. I thought that was interesting. Um, I liked the concept. I also liked the concept of the, um, there's like a, a window that goes on the right-hand side. It would be on the judge's left, um, where if you're looking out of the window, all you can see are people's feet. And the notion behind that was people are like the paths that people walk and you can't see their face from where you are. So you have no idea what color they are. There's no way to tell the difference between people by their legs. Um, And I liked that everyone should be seen equally. Yeah, and then they also talked about it meaning transparency so that they don't... um, I guess get too comfortable and um, the justices so they have 11 justices for the 11 recognized languages Um, and then they're also I think they only serve for 12 years Um, I might have the the years wrong but they're not for life so um, I feel like that makes a difference and I, I really liked that about Um, you know, just learning about how their system is. Um, I also found it interesting that they don't uh, have punitive damages (laughs) within their law, which I thought was interesting. Um, But the everything in the the actual constitutional court means something like from the chairs to the um, design of the the building itself. Um, And they really took a lot of time to to implement that and to show like look that we've come f- this far and um, and then it's also built um, at the fort which is a jail that is now a um, museum but um, they use bricks from one of the like one of the jail's parts um, to build the constitutional court so it's, it's just everything means something which I thought was was really great. Mm-hmm. This is the uh, Legal Legal Review, and uh, we are talking with uh, Caitlin uh, Caldwell and Yakoya Gorgo, uh, two participants in our recent trip to, uh, to South Africa. I uh, want you to uh, stay with us as we uh, continue uh, this discussion. Uh, we'll be right back. Thank you again for tuning in to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. I'm April Dawson and my co-host Irene Joyner and I have been talking with two of our law students, Caitlin Caldwell, she is a two-year law student, 2L law student, and Yakoya Gorgor, she is a 1L law student, and both of them joined Professor Joyner on his latest trip to South Africa. Um, Irv, you've been doing this for how many years now? Is this your 10th? This year? is the 12th. The 12th year. And your yeah. largest group, you said uh, 36, and the smallest was about 14. 14. Yes. 
So, and you've been doing this for 12 years. Mm-hmm. So what, what keeps you, um, what keeps you going? The adventure. <laughs> the adventure. And to see the progress. Uh, and uh, it's a beautiful country uh, in terms of the, the, the landscape uh, and everything. And then uh, the people are just so uh, uh, hospitable. You know, they uh, uh, are welcoming and uh, they uh, uh, make it uh, enjoyable. And uh, we have uh, uh, some excellent venues where people really kind of look out for us. And uh, so I want to. Yeah, I've been going back uh, to see them and to uh, also uh, hopefully introduce uh, to our students uh, a different uh, uh, picture of what uh, life in some other country can be like, a kind of in-depth study and, and, and comparative uh, opportunities for them to look at the law and the uh, how the legal system operates and the results of uh, of some of that so that you know being being able to to watch that is uh is rewarding for me personally mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um what's it like to interact with the students outside of the classroom uh interesting <laughs> interesting <laughs> uh, you you get to know them uh better in a different uh uh light uh and uh get to see uh, them uh, and their decision making, uh, the decision making uh, process. So uh, you, you get to, you know, to to, to view a different side mm-hmm. of, uh, of of them. And, mm-hmm. uh, so that's always a challenge. So you mentioned there are two professors. Uh, so Professor Cheryl Romana uh, was on the trip as well, and right. her husband John Burris. Um, and so I wanted to ask our, ask our students, what was it like for you all interacting with Professor Joyner and Professor Amana uh, outside of the classroom? A little intimidating at first. <laughs> um, I've had Professor Amana, and I absolutely love her. Um, and so it was really interesting to kind of see her out of class, um, you know, because you only get to interact with the professors at the school for, you know, short times and Usually it involves a test or <laughs> material or something like that. So, um, yeah, it was really interesting. That she's so fascinating. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, I had Professor Joyner for criminal law, and I can guarantee you he is the same person <laughs> in class as he was in South Africa. He is a character. Um, yes. And <laughs> I um, don't have Professor Amana for property, but it was nice just having that one-on-one time with her and getting to know her. I do, however, have her son. So that was interesting, oh, mm-hmm. hearing stories about Professor Edwards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think at one point she FaceTimed him, too, so we got <laughs> yeah. to say hi, which was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So I, w- I wanted to go back, but right before the break, we were talking about the Constitutional Court. And, uh, Caitlin, you had mentioned that some of the bricks that were used to build the actual court were taken from... Uh, one of the prison buildings. Can, can you talk a little bit more about the placement of the court and, and what significance um, it is that the court is actually built on a former prison and, and how that impacted you in terms of learning about their constitutional court? Um, well, for them, the, our tour guide was telling us that the so they used the bricks from the awaiting trial block from the prison um, to build the constitutional court. And then the, con- the, the court itself is, like you said, on the um, part of the prison or on the prison property. 
Um, and it just talks to the history. So they don't want to forget the past. They want to be able to, um, to learn from it and not, not go back to a place where um, the, the people are just um, put in those types of conditions. Um, part of the tour that we did, they talked about um, like the food like certain, depending on your race in the prison, was what type of food you got. Um, and just things like that, like um, depending on your race, you would have um, like good medical care or bad medical care or certain parts of the building you were off limits to or it just, just the way that they, um, they conducted the, the prison. Um, actually, Nelson Mandela talks a lot about the fort in um, his book, Long Walk to Freedom. So it was really interesting to actually see what he was talking about. Um, he was there during the treason trial um, in what the 60s, late 50s, early 60s, I believe. Um, but it was just interesting because the, the Constitutional Court, when you walk in, it just has so much promise to it. And it's just this bright, wonderful place where they want to realize their the promises in their constitution. Um, so I think that's the that might have been a longer answer than you wanted. Yeah, 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 that was that was great. But you mentioned Nelson Mandela and him being in prison and of course he was in prison for the longest period of time at Robin Island. So you all got a chance to visit Robin I Island? Yes, okay. we did. Yes. Uh Yukoya, what was your what was your thought? It was an interesting ride over because we took a boat. Um, <laughs> but our tour guide was a former prisoner. Um, that was the first thing that stood out to me. So not only was he able to navigate us around, he shared his experiences during the time that he was there. And one important thing that I took away from him was, um, well, for one, prisoners of Mandela's, well, Mandela himself was isolated, um, but prisoners of Mandela's um, era, era, I'm sorry, were held separately then, I believe he um, was sentenced in the 70s, was it? 76. In 76. Um, so those two generations of prisoners were kept separate. And he talked a lot about how by the time they were able to talk to the um, earlier generations, they realized how privileged they were. Um, one instance was in regard to their um, their uniforms that they mm -hmm. had to wear. Um, none, uh, Mandela's generation was only given one, or I believe it was one. It also they also classified by race there as well. So, um, you know, they had four different races: so white, Indian, colored, and black. And black would be treated the worst; white treated the best. Mm -hmm. um, and so it cut across like. Food, um, work, housing. They also separated the political prisoners from the criminal uh, prisoners, um, and the political ones were treated worse than the criminal prisoners. And our tour guide was actually um, arrested after a political demonstration while he was in high school, mm -hmm. and they sentenced him to five years. Five years um, just for what we take for granted every day, just mm -hmm. to peaceful protest um that I don't know that just didn't sit well with me uh just knowing that something so simple could really change your life um another thing was that um they weren't allowed 
I can't remember at what point, but they weren't allowed to send letters or receive letters in their native tongues Mm -hmm. at first. They were only allowed to, in was it Afrikaans? Afrikaans, yeah. They were only allowed to communicate in Afrikaans. So what are we doing with the other nine, well, ten languages? Mm how am I supposed to communicate with my family and anything that was politically motivated or they felt like needed to be censored, it was censored and they weren't able to communicate without that interference between. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned the languages and um, when we're thinking about the, the constitutional court and the number of justices and there's this emphasis on uh, the languages because there was a time when your um, your language, the specific language from your tribe or your community was was frowned upon. Mm-hmm. And so the you know in terms of being the rainbow nation, so South Africa is known as the rainbow nation. you can see it reflected in the flag. This is to make sure that there's always this remembrance that we are that they are a country of um, many different shades, many different peoples and and so when you were talking about, uh, having to write letters in in Afrikaans, I kind of thought back about what we were talking about with the Supreme Court or their constitutional court. Mm-hmm. Now, kind of talk about the uh, the poverty uh, that you uh, that you observed uh, while you were uh, there and the uh, impact and impression uh, that that had on you. I didn't realize that there were certain parts like certain townships that were still like they don't have a bathroom and they're so close together and they're um they called them uh, shanties right the illegal shanties and so they have these like tin roofs or whatever came from like a junkyard basically constructing these illegal shanties and i think it was like the government that came in and built these like um cement areas where they could use the toilet so they don't even have like a toilet in their house and it's just it was really just incredible to see that because it just it's like right there in your face about how poor this community is and it's not just one um and then you go to cape town in the middle of the tourist area and there's like building 1.5 million rand condos i think i saw it's just insane the disparity um between between the people um that that was, it was just shocking to me i would have to say the shanties um surprised me i like i said i've always had um south africa kind of on a pedestal um and i didn't think any community would be living like that post apartheid especially um just seeing those living conditions honestly reminded me of my time in Liberia, um, which I didn't expect anything in South Africa to resemble what I experienced there. Um, As far as the poverty as a whole, it was interesting. Um, At some point on our trip, we learned about the the Guptas, Mm. and they they have a lot of power, and Mm. they are the wealthiest family, I believe, in South Africa and they're of Indian descent. Um, And then you see people living in shanties. And that just, seeing that reminded me of the United States, quite frankly, just seeing such a, Mm -hmm. just that disparity um, was hard to grasp. Mm. Did you all have an opportunity to go to the Apartheid Museum? 
We did. I did not. Mm-hmm. So, Caitlin, what what did you what did you think about that experience? It was heartbreaking um, to see some of just like because they so when you first arrive, um, the they give you your admission ticket and it actually has on there white or non-white, and so you have to go in the door that is on your designated admission uh, slip. And so you go in the door and then you see all the passes that are hanging um, for when, during apartheid, when they, um, when you traveled, you had to have a pass to designate who you were and what race you were and um, what you were allowed to be doing, basically. Um, And so you start there and then you go through, it's kind of um, linear, you know, through the years. Um, And then they show some of the videos of one of the videos was really shocking because it reminded me of the, the videos that you would see during the civil rights movement here with the, um, the hoses mm-hmm. and the kids. And it's just always heartbreaking to me to see that, like how can another human being treat somebody with such just insanity to me? Like I just don't, I don't understand it. Um, but then at the end it talks about how, um, you know, what they're doing now, uh, you know, post-apartheid and um, elections and, you know, just so it kind of ends on a more positive note, but mm-hmm. it's still like the realization that other human beings are doing this to people is just it, it's just insane to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, the admissions ticket, we should know it, it's random. So you don't know yes. if you're going to get one <laughs> that is, you know, <laughs> white, non-white, but it just makes the point that uh, how you were treated was dependent upon the color of your skin. Right. And, um, yeah. yeah. It was, uh, it was, it was telling. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it, it was telling. Uh, the, uh, the museum is uh, very uh, thorough mm-hmm. uh, in uh, reviewing uh, the history from, uh, the, from the invasion of the Dutch uh, right on up uh, to the present day. And then there is uh, an outstanding section dealing just with uh, Nelson Mandela, mm-hmm. you know, who is uh, really a, uh, a godlike figure in uh, in South Africa that everybody uh, knows about, and uh, they uh, they're very reverent mm-hmm. uh, toward him and uh, his uh, his image. Uh, one of the things, though, that has happened is that the uh, ANC, uh, which was uh, Mandela's uh, political party, has now lost a lot of favor uh, among the uh, populace because of. Uh, Corruption. Ms. Gorgor mentioned the uh, Guptas, and uh, that is probably uh, one of the sources of the displeasure by many uh, South Africans about the ANC because they call it uh, state capture. Uh, the state uh, captured by uh, these economic uh, interests uh, that uh, put themselves or the uh, interests of a few above the uh, interests of the many. And uh, so South Africa is dealing with a recovery uh, from that as well as efforts to try to recoup a lot of the uh, uh, monies that the uh, uh, Guptas and their cohorts uh, were able to, uh, to squeeze out of the government. So, but it's, 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 it's an ongoing struggle uh, and it's not unlike uh, what uh, you know, we face here in the United States where you have uh, corruption on different kinds of uh, levels uh, that you have to uh, ferret out 
uh, if the uh, country is to uh, survive. And uh, mm -hmm. so it's a continuing uh, story, and the last chapter has not been written. Mm -hmm. You know, th there's an, another similarity as well. So when we think about the young people in, in South Africa, they, they're, you know, they did not live under apartheid. Yes. And so they're experiencing the aftermath of it, but they don't have any direct experience with it so so their view of the ANC may be very different from that of their of their parents mm -hmm. and and we, we we certainly have that here to some extent as well so like the young people here in the United States um, didn't directly live under Jim Crow uh, didn't directly live under um, you know didn't weren't alive during the the heyday of the civil rights movement and their um, involvement with the political system comes from a different space and I think that's always kind of a challenge when you've got communities who are wrestling with inequality how is it that you kind of keep that momentum and how do you make sure that the young people um, are able to be engaged and involved um, even though their lived experiences are different from their fathers and their their you know mothers and grandparents yeah. And like every country, uh, this is a work in progress. Uh, they're, they're moving forward, and I uh, appreciate uh, Vernon Rose, who was able to uh, kind of bridge the gap because he was there uh, before uh, while apartheid was going on, and he's been a part of the effort to try to uplift and, and, and save and re revive the country uh, since then. Uh, but this is a uh, trip uh, that's uh, worth taking for me and I hope it has been uh, like that for uh, for those who have been a part of the uh, the journey. Uh, but uh, we want to thank uh, both of you uh, for being with us uh, here uh, this evening for uh, this discussion. And uh, in the future, I hope that uh, we will have some more uh, discussions of some of the uh, learnings that uh, that you gained uh, from the uh, South African journey. That's right. Thank so you. thank you. <laughs> Caitlin Caldwell, 2L law student at uh, North Carolina Central University School of Law, and Yakoya Gorgor, who is a 1L student at uh, NCCU Law. And of course, we'd like to thank you, as always, our listening audience, for spending your Sunday evening with us. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you've learned something and that we have piqued your interest in international travel generally and travel to South Africa specifically. Um, if you have any questions, you can send us an email. You can reach us at LegalEagleReview at nccu.edu. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next week, stay informed and engaged.